Hi, I'm Gabby. My pronouns are she, her. I am a senior library assistant and I am ready for Queer Pirate Summer. Hi, I'm Amanda. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a librarian and I'm ready for pastel vampire goth summer. Hi, I'm Brittany. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a library services supervisor and I'm ready for look at the outside from the inside summer. And this is the Ask Us Desk. We are the Ask Us Desk. We're three library professionals here to chat with you about books, libraries, the library world, and just about anything at all. We'd love to hear from you, whether you have a question for us or just want to share your latest read. You can email us at askuspod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram at askuspod. If you do visit us on social media, check out the link in our bio to leave us a voice message and possibly be featured in a future episode. We are also doing a year-long reading challenge and each month is a different prompt. We're giving book recommendations based on the prompts in our podcast episodes this year. If you'd like to join us, follow along on StoryGraph, um, share what you're reading on Twitter and Instagram by using the hashtag AskUsReadingChallenge and by tagging us on Twitter and Instagram at AskUsPod. The, and today's prompt is something about elders. Ask an elder. Yes, today's prompt is ask an elder. Um, So I'm excited to see what y'all are going to recommend. Yeah, how old are all of us? You have to share that. Well, I'm just saying like for for (laughs) listeners, if if they're interested in, are we their elders? Oh. (laughs) Possibly. We could say if you're... If you're younger than your third mid 30s <laughs> yeah <laughs> like ma'am <laughs> then um you can consider us your elder yeah and take our book recommendations for this prompt yes yeah you can listen to any of our podcast episodes previously um and you can hear other books that we've read and loved well now it is time for Chit chat, chit chat, chit chat, chat, Dance break. Woohoo! So I just wanted to admit and come clean that I am failing at the reading challenge and um, finishing books in general. <laughs> Is it that you just can't focus right now, or you just can't find something that you like? Oh no, it is just, it feels kind of like, you know, like in Pirates of the Caribbean, the, 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 uh, Jeffrey Rush pirate, who I forget what his name is. In- Barbosa. Barbosa. <laughs> when he's like, he picks up the apple and he like bites into it and he's like, it should taste good, but then it like turns into like dust or whatever. Oh, yeah. That's kind of how I feel. I'm like, oh, look at this pretty shiny book. And then as soon as I pick it up, it's like, oh yes, I forgot I was cursed uh, with this old pirate curse. And and reading no longer has pleasure. I don't know. It's, it's very sad. Whenever that happens to me, like, and I get a reading slump, I either reread a favorite that I know I love, listen to an audiobook, or I pick up like a different genre, like a graphic novel or something. So I don't know if you've already tried those. Yeah. So I did listen to most of Braiding Sweetgrass, which was an excellent book beautifully narrated by the author audiobook and I just couldn't finish it and now I'm I am rereading one of my favorite 
uh, science fiction books, and I'm just having kind of a hard time. I don't know what it is. It's normal, though, as readers, I think, to go through those ups and downs and even something you're really passionate about. Sometimes you need a break from and that's okay. The world sucks right now. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) I get it. Yeah. I mean, I bet living in Washington, you feel a little bit more secure and safe. I don't know. It just feels like we are, as a country, trending a certain way that's bad. And it's kind of hard not to feel like you're part of that whole society. I, I don't know. Like, I, I know that we have our own state laws and things like that, but it just, it does really feel like especially when I was reading something about how lawmakers in Texas were thinking of how do they criminally prosecute people who try to go to other states for these services. And I'm just like, yeah, this is bad. So what if that's illegal in your state? It's legal in my state. Come on over here. (laughs) But, you know, they're just trying to do whatever they can. So I, I don't necessarily feel like secure or safe or good about it. Yeah, it's like just because it's not a thing that affects me personally. Yeah, does it mean that I don't that I yeah. still feel bad about it? I obviously well, yeah, still no. feel bad about it. Yeah, I wasn't <laughs> saying like, oh, you're not feeling bad about it, or no, you're not mm-hmm. upset or pissed off or stressed. I just I don't know. I feel like living in Texas, they had the whole six week ban already. And then this is happening and they're now having it. Texas is one of the states that has like a trigger law. Like as soon as Roe versus Wade goes away, abortion is essentially banned in Texas. And that's like an extra added level of stress because they are going to try to criminalize people who do try to access abortions in other places. And then it's this ban is just banning safe abortions. Let's be serious. So a lot of people are going to get hurt and possibly die and just it's all fucked up they're looking at trying to ban contraceptives or having where contraception is only available for married couples which i don't get what Um, (laughs) i know i don't get it i don't freaking get it and then there's the whole baby formula shortage going on right now because capitalism is of the devil yeah we live in a dumpster fire yeah (laughs) texas our darling governor I hate him. I hate him. Is trying to find ways now to cut funding for public education. Yeah, because he doesn't want public education to go to, you know, immigrant children. It's just infuriating. Like, how are we in 2022, like, having to think about, like, well, how do we form an underground network for women, like, who need to get to places? Like, how do we, you know... What yeah. are we going to do to fund education for children? Like, which was already such a struggle. It's just yeah. bonkers. And it's so critical. It's so critical to go out and vote. I know, I do know some people who are like, oh, well, you know, it's really impossible. I'm only one vote. It doesn't really matter if I go or not. No, it matters. Congressional seats can hang on, you know, a hundred votes, 200 votes. Like you have to go vote. Otherwise, you know, sorry, climbed up a soapbox, but <laughs> And we can't get in the mindset of, oh, well, I tried voting for this party and they didn't wind up doing anything. I, you know, it's the only chance that we have. And especially it's critical at the local level. So if you aren't registered to vote, go to your local library. They will help you. Uh, Most Mm -hmm. local libraries have voter registration forms. If you're in Texas, they legally have to. 
Um, so get registered. Um, Vote 411 is a great website uh, to help you build a sample ballot for your area. If you don't know like what's going on in the polls or like who's who's up for election, um, go to Vote 411. You can put in your address and it'll give you all of that information. Yeah. And if you have questions on like, how do I get registered or, you know, where can I go vote? Definitely check out vote 411, but I'm okay. If you guys want to, if anyone wants to reach out to me, I will help people find information and point them to Mm -hmm. where they need to go. My Twitter and Instagram is at bookish Brittany and Brittany is spelled like Brittany Spears. (laughs) B-R-I-T-N-E-Y. Brittany bitch. It's Brittany bitch. Yeah. (laughs) I'm a little bit nervous because I have a trip planned for this weekend to go to Chicago and we're flying, (laughs) we're flying and we're flying on Alaska. And I don't know if you've been following what's up with them, but they're dealing with pilot strikes and shortage staffing shortages. Mm -hmm. And so they've been canceling hundreds of flights every week. And they already sent me an email saying that they bumped us from the flight that we had planned to one that was much later. So we were leaving at like 1.30 p.m. And they were like, your new flight time is now 9 p.m. at night. Oh, my God. But it's uh, scary because I'm wondering that in the next few days, is our flight going to get canceled? Or is the flight home going to get canceled? Are we going to get stranded in Chicago? (laughs) Are you going just for fun? Yeah, we're visiting my brother-in-law. They have a house. They want to show us around and show us the city and stuff. And so they're really excited about us visiting. We're really excited to go. But I'm just nervous also because the mask mandate in airports Mm -hmm. has gone away. Yeah. So I'm just like, please don't get COVID. Please don't get COVID. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You could still wear your mask. I know that whenever I'm like in really big groups, especially inside outside I'm a lot more lenient but if I'm inside and it's a big group of people that I don't know like it's one thing to be for me when I'm at like a work office but if I'm working at a branch even now um, I wear a mask I mean people sometimes still look at me weird but I'm like eh, oh well don't care I'm definitely gonna I bought I invested in a was it n95 or whatever for Mm -hmm. both of us yeah for the trip to wear in the airport and then I have our kn95 that I'm just gonna take with us to wear around town because I'm not really sure where Chicago is at with all that yeah but in Seattle it, people still wear masks a lot of different places and I still have to wear it to work every day um, really yeah I'm not I'm not saying it like I'm salty about it I'm just I'm just saying that like that is still a requirement for all staff when we're working with the public we have to wear a mask yeah. If you are a staff member who doesn't work with the public and you work in your own office, you don't have to wear a mask, obviously. Yeah. But whenever you're in public spaces, it's still required. Wow. That's something. Yeah, but we don't require the patrons to wear them anymore. So interesting. Um, I like Chicago. Have you been before? I have been one time before. I went with my dad and my sister. And we saw Spamalot in the pre-Broadway. So it was before Hi. we went to Broadway. Because that's what Chicago, I guess, theater is kind of known for. They do the shows before they go to Broadway. It's like a little testing oh, round okay. or whatever. So that was really cool because we were like 10 feet away from Tim Curry at one point. <gasps> oh my and my, God. my sister would not move out of my way. I was <laughs> like... No, I was like, it's Tim Curry. And then he like disappears behind a door. And I'm like, you slow 
walking woman. <laughs> Only she didn't say woman. <laughs> I probably didn't say any of that because I was like 15. I probably was like, oh, darn. <laughs> Shucks. Shucks. <laughs> you are a very sweet 15 year old. I'm passing a lot. <laughs> Oh, I was very, uh, so our, my friend who we're visiting in, um, for his wedding, uh, when he said he first met me, he thought I was very biblical, <laughs> <What a term. laughs> which I thought was really funny. Cause like, like I mean, biblical, like rage or like, no, no, see, that's what you would think that that means. Cause that is what that means. But he meant like, he thought that I was very like, uh, christian conservative conservative christian oh i don't know he said the first time he met me he thought that but it's very funny to me especially if you're anyone who knows me Uh um that that is just (laughs) like really weird but when i was a teenager it was closer to being true like there was a time in my life when i had those like parody um like what would jesus do t-shirts that have like the different like you know i think there was like a taco bell parody yeah. t-shirt like mm-hmm. you know and i had yeah. a, a bible that looks like a magazine and i um had all the bible verses memorized in order oh my and- goodness <laughs> and I, I went to i went to church camp every summer i was very i remember it. whenever i was a kid i had to go to church camp i went like two or three summers i hated it because I loved it. Church I loved it. <laughs> I liked the first year, the second and third year. That's probably the most bullied I ever have ever been bullied. Oh, no. Church kids are the worst. They, they do, are mean. They are mean and they do suck. And I think that was what um, turned me um, against it really was when I was in high school. Yeah. Junior, senior year of high school. I told my mom, I didn't want to go to church anymore. Cause I didn't believe in God anymore. And <laughs> oh my God, did she cry? Did no, she, she just sort of like it? sat, she sat there for a second and then she goes, okay, but you're grounded every Sunday until you like move out of the house or whatever. What? She was, she was like, if you're not going to church, then you're not allowed to do anything else on Saturday on Sunday. What? Yeah. That, that was her, her punishment to me for declaring that I was an atheist. What? Does my what keep just going higher pitched? Like, what? <laughs> but it wasn't really that much of a punishment because I was such an introvert. Like, what am I doing anyway? I'm sitting at home reading or watching TV. Oh my really gosh. I remember telling my mom, like, at a pretty young age, I was like, I don't want to go to church. I, it's not fun for me. I, it's like, it's, people are the worst. It just, I know. And she would be upset and she would cry. She's like, I want you to have Jesus in your life mm-hmm. and everything. And my mom is like, I love my mom. She's one of my best friends. But yeah, like, oh, it was always a, it was a fight because she's yeah. like, you have to go. You're living with under my roof. You have to go. And I'm like, this is the worst. I'm never going to church when I grow up. And then I think she's like, oh shit, I've made this now like <laughs> chore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I feel like my parents had sort of inconsistent relationship with church too, because as yeah, soon yeah. as we stopped going, my sister, you know, graduated and went to college and I graduated and went to college. Yeah. They kind of stopped going for a bit. Yeah. And like, it was a really big deal that we went every Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. But now they're like, I don't know how often they go to church, but they are very still very Christian, very, and every once in a while she'll bring it up and just, you know, I know you'll find your path back or something like that. Oh. I'm just like, I'm so glad you know that. Cause I, <laughs> I don't know that. 
<laughs> and she just like always just kind of doing like a quarterly check in, like, hey, you still atheist? Yeah. Oh, no, no, she doesn't really she doesn't really bring it up. But it's weird too. This is probably none of this is gonna make the podcast, but <laughs> oh, yeah, I want it to. <laughs> I mean, it might, it might, whatever. I don't know. My aunt was really depressed for a while after her like husband passed away and mm. um like different things happened. And she was just like, I want to talk to you about being an atheist, Amanda, because she <laughs> knows that I am. Yeah. And she was just like I think I might be too because what kind of God would do this like it's horrible or whatever you know I don't really have an atheist agenda I don't really care who is or isn't atheist (laughs) so this might be like hurting our cause or whatever I don't know (laughs) other free thinkers chime in here but I was like (laughs) but I was like I think that's a bad reason to not be Christian because I was I was saying that like from what I remember from being Christian Mm -hmm. that like that's not the deal the deal isn't that God makes your life perfect. You know, you don't pray before the big game and he makes sure you win. Like that's not <laughs> what God's doing up there. Yeah. You know, like his, your belief in him and your faith in him is like something that you lean on as strength in times when things get bad because he gives people free will and you get to decide how to live your life and things just yeah. happen. And he's not up there like a puppeteer controlling it. Like, you know, he's just there for you when you need him, like when something bad happens so you can turn to him for strength and to get through these hard times. Yeah. And she's Christian again. I don't think it had to do with my conversation. You made her Christian again. (laughs) I think it had to do with my conversation with her. I think think that you need to teach an evangelism class because that was a better conversation than than half the things I was ever taught to do. I I mean, I am a really good Christian for somebody who's not a Christian. Like, I can explain it to you really well. Oh, same. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's because if you're raised in it and I was raised in a very evangelical church and like the whole, you were supposed to bring people to God and you know, anyway. (laughs) This is such a random aside, really random aside. (laughs) Okay. So we also want to talk about. You had said that you are not doing that well on the reading challenge, but Gabby, how are you doing on the reading challenge? In a shocking turn of events, I'm actually up to date with the reading challenge, which might be a first ever in my life. Yay! I put in my April title to Storygraph today. Uh, I read it in April, but I'm really bad about updating. Me too. I need to go update. Track it. Um, but yeah, I am. I am current and up to date, and that is in itself a miracle. Yay! <laughs> How many more miracles do you need to become a saint? <laughs> well, don't oh. they have to happen after you die? They can happen after you die, but they don't have to. They can happen oh. after life. See, mm-hmm. I weirdly know all these things. I don't know why. Were you raised Catholic? No, I was raised Methodist, which if you know anything about the um, scope of everything, it's like Catholic, and then you've got Episcopal, which is Catholic light, and then you've yeah. got Methodist, which is Episcopal light. So it's like in the same tree of Catholicism, but it is like the watered, watered down version, or should I say the uh, Welch's grape juiced down version? (laughs) Oh my God. As a, as a current Methodist can confirm. I think my dad was raised Methodist, but I grew up uh, going to Baptist and Assembly of God churches, which is a very, very extremes, both sides of extremes of Protestantism. I was going to ask about the ALA open letter 
from the, I haven't really been following. I mean, we have struggled with ALA and their sort of lukewarm messaging in the past, but I kind of feel like they're starting to grow a little bit of a backbone and have really hard stands against all the book banning and everything. And I really like that. Um, so what what is this with academic libraries writing an open letter to ALA? Big hullabaloo on library Twitter um, in the past week or so. Um, if you want to read the article for yourself, um, you can Google the article title, which buckle up buttercups, is against, quote, radical empathy as a core professional principle, an open letter to the ALA working group on intellectual freedom and social justice. The American Library Association is considering replacing the principle of library neutrality with other concepts like radical empathy, why that would be a mistake. And so <laughs> I'm going to warn you now if you are going to read it, and I do recommend reading it just to be aware of sort of this stance in this group, is that they are of the stance that libraries are entirely neutral and should remain neutral. And that what they are appealing in this letter um, is that this, this group in the ALA, uh, the Working Group on Intellectual Freedom and Social Justice, is looking to replace language related to library neutrality, which appears in, in multiple ALA documents. What that group is looking to do is use the terms radical empathy, trauma-informed response, and cultural humility. And that apparently is a problem. And like you were saying, Amanda, this in, in part, and in this article, it talks about sort of a, one of these backbone stances. Apparently in 2021, and this is all in this article, um, the ALA Council approved a resolution to condemn white supremacy and fascism as antithetical to library work, which, you know, top notch. Yeah, probably should do that. And I guess this made them nervous as far as like how that impacts library neutrality and how library neutrality can be a negative thing in the scope of social justice and things that are happening, you know, in all of our communities at this point. This sentence, just brace, just, just brace yourselves. Neutrality should therefore be understood as an ethically informed position regarding a commitment to process not an assertion regarding matters of fact. Wait, by, sorry, keep going. <laughs> by, con by contrast, empathy is an emotional response nested at the level of the individual upon which no coherent institutional responses may be developed. Okay. <laughs> I know. It's a hot goddamn mess of an article. Um, it is just... You know, when you were in college and you were just throwing words in paragraphs, praying. Yeah. You made the word count? To the essay gods <laughs> that you would make the word count. Oh my yeah. God. That is what that is, isn't it? You get this vibe in this article. I mean, it is academic librarians writing it. If you're an oh. academic librarian, I don't mean any hate. I don't mean we love you, but check on your people. Yeah. So is the argument basically... It, empathy is subjective and they're like how can we have like policies or rules in place to be empathetic or that we need to lead from empathy whenever it's not factual and because they're basically saying like facts versus feelings 
Yeah. In essence, that is one of the takeaways. Again, it's kind of a mess. Here's something, it, and here's another quote from it. It says, as for empathy, which is in quotes, while a nominally admirable trait, it is also fraught with a number of connotations and implications that as the basis for institutional policy would prevent it from achieving the goals intended. So here's my problem. <laughs> Understandably, and especially on Twitter, public librarians had a big middle finger response to this article. And academic libraries and public libraries are very different animals. They just are, and that's fine. I would argue that academic libraries still serve people. <laughs> what? <laughs> just, you know, hold on, to, just hold on to that thought. But especially for us as public librarians, our communities are made up of individuals who need empathy, who need yeah. compassion. Like, even if you're not talking about an underserved population, because yes, especially there, yeah. but even in non- underserved populations when you're interacting with a patron everybody is living a life okay especially right now yes you need empathy yes you need policies that speak to the needs of your community based out of the compassion that you have for people and how to better serve them saying that no we must have these rigid policies because that best serves us as an institution is kind of a slap in the face to what we actually do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, too, if you think on a public library level, the ideas of rules of conduct, for instance, like if you have, okay, in the library, you're not allowed to eat, you're not allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do that. So, you know, one approach is that you have these rules and you adhere to them in a dogmatic way. And this often causes conflict, escalation, this, you know, causes things to happen in the library that wouldn't have ordinarily happened if you had had empathy, compassion, trauma-informed decision-making. So if you see somebody asleep in your branch, you know, think about why is this person asleep? You know, yeah. like, and what, why is our rule about people not being allowed to sleep in the library a rule? It's a rule because, well, it takes a lot of our time and energy to go around and make sure you're still alive but if you just walk up to somebody and say no sleeping in the library like mm. who's who's been living on the street who has very little food that they've eaten that day or like has all these other things they're going to explode and they're going to create a situation that didn't need to happen and in like the public library mindset it's like okay mm. we have this rule for a reason because we have to help everybody and we can't continue to like wake this person up because we just are too busy. So with that in mind, think, is today a slow day at the library? Yes, it is. Do I have time to walk around and check on this patron every 30 minutes? Why, yes, I do. Um, and so in that case, I'm not going to like try and wake them up and kick them out of the library because I understand where they're coming from and I have empathy and I also am able to logically assess a situation based on other factors that are occurring you know like the rule of like not extending time on a computer there's nobody else in this fucking library like <laughs> why am i making sure that all these computers sit here empty yeah no i'm gonna renew your time like so it's just having that sort of mindset about that when you're engaging with people is really important instead of having these blind rules that you follow because you are a robot and you must input output it's like yeah. No, you have to be able to 
assess the human need in any given situation to help people the best in whatever situation. And to go off of that as well, maybe there's policies that are in place that should be changed. Why is it that there's no food allowed? You know, why couldn't there be something that people could have as long as they clean up after themselves and it's not maybe around technology or something? There's different resources that we can provide to people. You know, I know, so I, know I understand the reason why, you know, we don't want people to be using the bathroom in a certain way because the bathroom's for everybody and you don't want uh, people who are, you know, maybe wanting to use it as kind of like a sh- makeshift shower. Of course, that you can't really allow that because everyone else needs to use the bathroom too. But then maybe we need to be thinking outside of the box and how we're going to handle that situation. Maybe we need to work with, you know, if you work for a city, a county, whatever. I'm thinking a public library field. Um, I have no clue how you would handle that, like in an academic library. Maybe you need to find other resources. Maybe there needs to be more stuff in the city that's provided because you as a librarian or library staff member, you are on the front lines. You are seeing your community. You are seeing the downfalls of society and how there are very many safety nets for people. I'm thinking if you lead with radical empathy and you just give a shit and you care about people, it helps everybody. And to... Gabby's point like academic libraries are full of human beings like yes. students I mean if you have a rule in your academic library that they can't be sleeping but the student might be struggling they might not have a place mm-hmm. a secure place to sleep at night or live and they might be struggling with having enough money to eat you know and all these different things that really are important in terms of how you provide service to different yeah. human beings so I'm really curious about why they're so strongly against it. Are they thinking about it just from the standpoint of like collection development and like the books in the collection? Like, yes, as a library, you should be giving two points of view, you know, because you're supposed to be neutral. Like you can't be sharing, you can't be pushing your own thoughts and your beliefs on people. Um, And if somebody comes to you and is asking for information, yes, we should provide access to that information. Even so, let's say there's a book in the collection (laughs) that's like, you know, what is it? The Turner Diaries? I don't know. Some libraries do have that in their collection. Personally, I would think, hey, I don't want to provide a book where it gives access to information on how to make a bomb or, you know, proposes like, yes, minorities deserve to die. You know, but I'm biased in that way. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think people should not, you know, I'm kind of against genocide basically. So, you know, that's yeah. my, uh, that's my personal leaning. <laughs> I think that's part of it. And again, it's been a couple of days since I've read the whole thing, but I, I know the other part of it um, that I also disagree with is that their stance is that libraries should sort of be like Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> and that libraries are not inherently political, which uh... they are Mm -hmm. and even if we had existed in a time and place where they were not which they never have but Mm -hmm. even if we did we ain't there now yeah libraries are based on the idea of socialist anarchy to some degree if like those two concepts are kind of at odds with each other at times too but just like the idea that people are able to access whatever information they want to access but it is also kind of directed by the community in terms of like yeah what you know we're not going to buy stuff just to buy it we're going to buy it because the community wants it and is is interested in it so it's it's interesting that like you would be pushing back on this in a time like this when libraries are being attacked because 
the political nature of libraries is that we want there to be access to information and library materials. And the other political party that we are at odds with, the you know, right conservative leaning parties, don't want people to have access to information, yeah. among other things. That is political because they're taking yeah. the political stance that they don't think people should have access to information. And yeah. we think as a core principle of the library, everyone should have access to this information. So it's like, how do you not be political? It doesn't make yeah. sense. The only part of the article that I thought had for me validity was their call to concern burnout and running down of library workers who are not trained to do some of this kind of work. And that is a valid and separate conversation than our libraries political because we are seeing in our in our field a, a huge amount of burnout and turnover and attrition and yeah we it's it's been a brutal what two and a half almost going on three years now and and that and that is valid and we are not social workers and a lot of there are a lot of library staff members um, who were called on to do a lot of things that they were not trained to do but the, I again I think that that is a separate issue yeah um, that absolutely needs to be addressed I think it, it means in my mind that we need to be even more political because we need to advocate yeah for services and for our the basic needs of human beings to be met in order for us to do our jobs. Yes. So I'm very on the other side of the spectrum of the folks who created yeah. this article, clearly. It should be ALA's job to advocate for healthcare and you know, like all these other things because it does affect library services. The fact yeah. that we don't have those things really puts a burden on us. We should be more engaged in those things as well. Yeah, I agreed. Viva the revolution. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> <way over here. laughs> um, it's probably has to do with what I'm currently reading. Ooh. Hey. Thanks for the segue. <laughs> so what are y'all currently reading right now? So I'm doing a reread of The Dispossessed by Ursula K. Le Guin. If you're unfamiliar with this book, it is a science fiction book that takes place in a universe that Ursula K. Le Guin kind of comes back to with a bunch of her different works. But this particular, I don't know how to pronounce any of the science fiction names for things, so it's just basically going to be like, there's a planet. <laughs> and this planet has a moon that's also habitable to some degree, but less habitable than the planet. And on the planet, the there was this like revolutionary, um, I think, Odo is how you pronounce her name, although that just makes me think of Deep Space Nine. Um, <laughs> but she um, is this revolutionary and she has a bunch of people who have the same ideals as her and they move to the moon and they create like an anarchist utopia on the moon. Generations have gone by and there's this new physicist named Shevik who is really into the idea of simultaneous existence and time. So if you've seen Arrival, you know, like how all time happens all at once, whatever. And so he has this unifying theory of time that he's been working on. And the, the culture on the planet is still very, there's a lot going on. There's a capitalist society that kind of reminds me a lot of the West, you know, of like America and a lot of Europe. And then there's different pockets of like, there's like this communist society, but it's interesting because 
it's like Le Guin playing with the idea of all these different concepts, but she's able to do it in a way that separates it a little bit from reality because it's not really about, it's not about earth. It's about this like other place. <laughs> but it's interesting how she walks through these different exercises of like what life could be and all these different things. And Shevik's main goal is to go back to the planet and to try and find people who think how he thinks, which is this sort of blend of the anarchy, but also this new idea of um, the simultaneous existence of mankind and what that means ethically and everything for everyone. So it's really fascinating. It's kind of dense. The first time I read it, I don't really think I understood most of what I was reading. You know, sometimes how you read a paragraph and you're like, I don't know, yeah. and you just keep going. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think I really liked it as a story, but I don't think I really understood a lot of the different nuances of it or like what she was trying to do. And I would still say that I don't fully get it, <laughs> but it, I think that's the beauty of rereading something. I'll probably come back and reread it in, you know, 10 years from now and have a different takeaway. It's why I love rereading books. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's The Dispossessed by Ursula K. Le Guin. Nice. That's on my to reads. I think I own it. I read A Wizard of Earthsea, the first one in that series, and I loved it. So I want to read more of her stuff. I'm currently reading Mexican Gothic by Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Yeah, Amanda, you've read it, right? I love that book. Yeah, <laughs> I'm loving it. I'm reading it for my book club that I facilitate for work. And I'm almost done with it. About maybe like 50 pages left. It is set in Mexico in the 1950s. And it follows this girl. Why am I forgetting her name? Noemi. Noemi? I'm hoping I'm pronouncing it right. And um, she's a socialite and beautiful. And she has been requested by her father to go and check on her cousin who's living in a small village in Mexico because she lives in Mexico City. So she's in the city. She's a city girl. And she has to go check on her cousin because her cousin, her, her cousin has sent a letter and she seemed kind of erratic, like there's something wrong. And so the her father's like, hey, can you go check on your cousin? She just got married to this guy. I really didn't want her to get married to that guy. It just seems like things are weird. Her husband's not really, you know, giving me a real answer about anything go figure out what's going on. Basically, I, I don't want to divorce, uh, to, you know, to hit the papers because they care about appearances and everything. And so she goes, although she doesn't really want to, she loves her cousin, but she didn't really want to go out there. Long story short, she, without giving any spoilers away, there's a creepy house, a so creepy sweet. family. Yeah. It's a spooky novel. It's called a Mexican Gothic. It reads very much like a Gothic novel. Um, think like Wuthering Heights or Jane Eyre type of vibes. I am loving it. I love the main character. The storyline is, like I mentioned, very gothic, but also has kind of like a different spooky vibe to it than I would expect from a gothic novel. Yeah, it's it's great. I'm I'm gonna have probably buy the book because I'm loving it so much. I'm reading a library copy right now. This would be a great fall book. So I'm wanting it to be fall. So I'm kind of glad I'm reading it right now because it's giving me the fall vibes. But yeah, if you want a spooky novel, pick it up. It's Mexican Gothic by Sylvia Moreno Garcia. And Gabby, please don't let us down about whatever you're reading right now. Yeah, I just saw the title and I was like, <laughs> what is happening over here? 
Well, quick update on Into the Horizon, which I talked about last time, which was the sapphic Davy Jones take. Mm. Alas, <laughs> perhaps, um, there were no tentacles on page, which, uh, womp womp. I feel like if I'm reading a monster romance, that's kind of what I'm there for. It was still a very sweet novella. And again, here for Queer Pirate Summer. Uh, so loved that that aspect of it. So something I have loved about doing this this um, monster romance uh, path I've taken, I guess, in life, um, is I got a text message the other day <laughs> that was like, uh, so I have a friend who's interested in that Kraken book you read, but she has some questions. <laughs> uh, who texted that? Um, a friend of the show, Mary. Um, oh, nice. Our guest of last episode. So I was able to answer some, some questions and I think the friend was going to, was going to pick it up. So my plan is working. <laughs> Did you ever read the potato shifter book? I haven't yet. So I have Damn two it. people. I, I know, I know it's coming. Um, so I have two people. <laughs> the cringing I have two people who have agreed to buddy read it with me um and I'm waiting for one of them to purchase it or get it on Kindle Unlimited um so that we can begin that terrifying journey together okay (laughs) I said I noticed you're not volunteering oh hell no (laughs) I shared the knowledge about it and I'm going to let y'all enjoy it (laughs) well for this time, and I just started it, it is called Orc Ward, W-A-R-D, Encounters. It is, <laughs> y'all's faces. <laughs> this, Kindle doesn't, like, does not know what to do with me as far as recommendations because <laughs> I read this shit, but I also do, like, Bible studies. Yeah, and- I was wondering. <laughs> <laughs> so Kindle's like, what is happening? <laughs> Oh man. Um, so that was, this was in my recommendations list and I immediately like, it was like instant buy from the first half of the first sentence of the blurb, which is as follows as a plus sized woman and all around awkward noodle. <laughs> is she literally a noodle? Is she a noodle shifter? Dear Jesus. No, she's <laughs> actually a fucking noodle. Oh my God. <laughs> Things I never thought I would say. <laughs> Things I never thought I would have to ask. Yeah, you ha- it has to be clarified. It has to be clarified. She's not literally a noodle. Okay. Listen, I, not that I intend to after this damn book, but if there is ever a situation in which I am reading something and talking about it, I will be upfront and give a disclaimer if one of the main characters is a food. <laughs> I love Amanda. You look like you were about to fall off your chair. <laughs> nah, it's I'm strapped in here. Wait, okay. that's weird. Never mind. I'm just continue. <laughs> Very much fits this conversation. Um, so we have our plus size heroine. I will say, uh, like, there are already even in the beginning a little bit of like content warnings for like body image issues and and things like that just based on the blurb I'm expecting some some growth in that area so she's a plus-size heroine she 
like doesn't like to go out her best friend like is like no you promised you have to come out clubbing with me so they go to a club and she accidentally falls through a portal into another realm where she is discovered by three orcs (laughs) (laughs) i mean you had me until found by three orcs like i would be like oh i'd read this you had to read this Mm, okay they're like hot men only green (laughs) no Still no, still no. For our listeners at home, the expressions I'm getting are those of disbelief. (laughs) (laughs) So if you've played Skyrim, that's not what an orc looks like, or if you're a Lord of the Rings fan. Uh, Based on the cover of this book, they're hot boy banders, just green. Yeah, like I'm picturing like, you know, the teeth and stuff, like for an orc. I'm just picturing, I'm picturing Shrek. (laughs) Definitely not that. I'm talking, I'm thinking of like, don't orc have like, where they kind of look like fangs, but they're like kind of, they're on the bottom oh. teeth facing up. So the, okay, again, in the book, I haven't gotten to the orcs, um, but based on the cover, they have some fang thing going on, but top down. So like a green vampire. What is this called? Orc Ward. Orc Ward Encounters by Sam Hall. Okay. I'm going to look on the, for, at the cover and I'll tell you if I'm for it or against. The okay. While you look that up, I'll carry on. Um, so she falls into their realm. She discovers that women are apparently scarce um, and they all are courting her. Um, I'm pretty sure it, it, it winds up being like a polyamory situation. And so then she, you know, is falling in love, but they're in a different realm. And can she get home and all of this stuff? I, this is my first orc romance. So I'm, I'm here for it. I'm open to it. They're not as bad as some of the other ones you've read, but like... <laughs> I don't, I'm not, I don't like the teeth thing. Okay, some people like the teeth thing. (laughs) Some people like the two dicks stacked on top of each other. What can I say? (laughs) Some people do. (laughs) Oh my God. Some people like the tentacle tattoos that come to life. All right. (laughs) And to each their own. Yeah. (laughs) And to all a good night. I was just telling you my opinion. I'm just That's thinking it. that kissing somebody who has teeth that are always like this must be really, really uncomfortable. It's like kissing a walrus. Like, why would you? I bet there are walrus shifter romance books that you could find. Okay, I am not going to go look for any of that. If one of our listeners sends me a walrus shifter title, I will look into it. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so I found a walrus book for you. Oh You're not gosh. one of our listeners, are you? No. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> a walrus and a gentleman. Gentleman. A male, male, grumpy sunshine, forced proximity shifter romance. Fuck, what's the title? <laughs> <laughs> um, a walrus and a gentleman by Emmeline Strange. Yeah. <laughs> no. As soon as I saw it, it was male, male, and grumpy sunshine and forced proximity, forced proximity. I was like, "This is Gabby written all over it." I dislike you very much right now. <laughs> wow. All right. This <laughs> has broken Brittany and Gabby. So I will continue the rest of the podcast alone. <laughs> I love that it took me 0.2 seconds to find that. (laughs) That's why I wasn't going to look. So 
So for May, the prompt is Ask an Elder, which is books recommended by someone older than you. Could be anyone. And um, I have to say that for this one, for me, because as I said earlier, it's, I'm struggling to read something, but I feel like I also struggle even more when somebody I love and respect recommends a book to me because then I feel this pressure to read it all mm. of a sudden. But my parents, they read a lot and they have always been readers and, you know, tried really hard to get me into reading. And I was a very reluctant reader when I was a kid. They have a lot of recommendations that they've given me over the years. And I don't really have the same reading style as they do, I would say. They like cop procedural or uh, like really hard sci-fi or um, I don't know, a cozy mystery. I think my mom kind of likes those sometimes. And so sometimes a lot of those things I just, I'm just like not into, but I've been surprised, you know, sometimes they've recommended things that I really liked. My mom recommended Silver Sparrow by Tayari Jones. And uh, that was really good. And the surprising pick for her, because I feel like she doesn't normally pick this style of book because it's like a historic fiction that takes place with two points of view. And it's also almost like a generational story of these two sisters who lead very different lives. And uh, I listened to the audiobook for it and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, but I also don't really like this sort of like historical generational thing. It's kind of like when we were talking about Pachinko, I was like, I'm just not like super into that as a genre. And it goes down smoother when it's a TV show. <laughs> for me. Um, but yeah, so I, I read it and I, I liked it. Um, but it was kind of a surprising pick for my mom and from my mom. And I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, my dad just likes any kind of like what I call um, classic white man sci-fi. <laughs> so, you know, he is a big fan of like Isaac Asimov, Douglas Adams, Carl Sagan, and that kind of stuff. He really wanted me to read, I think the Foundation series was one that he recommended to me pretty early on. Still have not read it and <laughs> I feel pretty bad about that um, because they made it into a, a TV show on Apple Plus recently, I think, or something. Mm -hmm. um, I did read I, Robot by Isaac Asimov and I've read several short stories. I do like his stuff a lot. And then my mom also really likes Nora Roberts slash J.D. Robb. She likes the romance and the fantasy and the um, also like the more like mystery procedural cop stuff. Like they also really love like the TV show, like Rosolian Isles or whatever that's called. Oh, yeah. So that's the kind of genre of stuff that they really like. And I am like grew up with them listening to audiobooks and still when I go home they'll be like listening to these books in the car and I'm like in the middle of some story and there's some voice actor who's giving 110% with these like crazy voices <laughs> and just it's it's endearing and I love it a lot and I definitely have them to thank for my love of reading and especially the love of the audiobook but I just gotta say sometimes it's hard for me to get into the things that they're into. Yeah, so those would be, if you're looking for picks from an elder, um, Silver Sparrow by Tayari Jones, or the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov, or any book in the Nora Roberts slash J.D. Robb series, of which there are hundreds, I'm yeah. pretty sure. So just 
throw a dart at one and, and read it. So I asked uh, two of my book club members and then um, a friend via Twitter. <laughs> and the first one from one of my book club members, she has been on a Louise Erdrich kick for quite a while. She's sort of been working her way through Louise's back. What is the word? I just Backstop catalog. Okay. Back, yes. Any of those backstop catalog, <laughs> the things she's written before. Backlist. 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 That's the yeah. one. That's the one. <laughs> but the one that really got her hooked was the sentence, which involves a small independent bookstore in Minneapolis um, that actually in this bookstore actually, as far as I understand, really exists, but it is haunted <laughs> uh, by a really annoying customer. So the, the, the clerk who works in the store um, just got a job there. She'd been in jail and like she got through her sentence by reading a lot um, spending a lot of time sort of escaping into books is sort of dealing with this haunting. And then there's a lot going on in the city during this time. And I believe I might be wrong about this part. So don't quote me, but I believe that the bookstore is native American owned. Louise Erdrich writes a lot from the, a lot of the native American story, um, contemporary. And so I'm very excited to pick up. I've never read anything by her. Um, and so I'm very excited. Um, I really love this book club member. She reads a lot and there are a lot of things she reads that I'm like, no, I would not. And so when she started reading Louise Erdrich, I was really excited uh, just as far as sort of expanding her horizons with that Native American influence and, and stuff. And so I thought that was really cool. So I'm looking forward to reading that. Um, my other recommendation from a book club member um, is The Matzo Ball by Jean Meltzer. And I'm really excited. I think this came out last year. Um, and it is a, a Jewish holiday romance. And I'm super excited. So when I worked in a branch all the time, I would do the Christmas like romance displays every year. And it frustrated me to no end that all of the holiday romances we had were, you know, wasp romances, which is all well and good, but could we have a little spice? <laughs> and there's just not a lot or, and, or a lot that's available to libraries in a format that we can purchase. Because I built a list, I did, I made a list of like, Okay, I think it was like 10 or 15 like existing Jewish romances. Um, and I sent them to the collector at the time and she came back and told me like none of them were available to the library to order. It was very frustrating. So when the matzo ball came out, I was super excited about it. And then this book club member read it and just loved it. And it also involves sort of the book world um, from the character perspective. The heroine is a Jewish girl, um, but she, her career is writing uh, Christmas romance novels. <laughs> mm -hmm. And she gets tasked by her publisher to write a Hanukkah romance. And so she goes home and um, I think it's a second chance romance. And so she meets up with this guy that she had a crush on in high school and but they're all grown up now. And it just sounds super cute. And I'm very excited about it. 
Um, so that's the matzo ball by Jean Meltzer. And then my friend, friend of the podcast, Camille, and host of the currently on hiatus, but still go listen to all their other episodes, Boozed uh, podcast, recommended Lamb, The Gospel According to Biff, Christ's Childhood Pal by Christopher Moore. And I have heard, heard of this. So Lamb is about the not mentioned in the Bible, best friend of Jesus called Biff. And it, I think it's sort of, and from what I understand, it's very like humorous and very probably satirical kind of in a way. And I'm excited to read it. Um, this is probably going to be the first of the recommended ones that I do read just because I haven't read any Christopher Moore and I know that I need to. Um, but I know, Brittany, you've read it and you said you loved it. Yeah, it's one of my favorite books ever. <laughs> what do you love about it? It's hilarious. Um, and some people find it kind of blasphemous, but... Uh, <laughs> But at the same time, it's very heartwarming throughout it. And I loved Biff as a character. It's about kind of like, you know, the missing years about of Jesus. Like, you know, you get him when yeah. he's a boy and then you get him when he's older. But it's kind of like the missing years of okay. Jesus Christ's life with, with his best friend, Biff. It's hysterical. It's one of those books. It's one of the few books that has made me literally laugh out loud. And there was sometimes like I was laughing so hard I was crying. Um, so I'm hoping I'm not hyping it up so much though, <laughs> because I hate whenever people do that to me. Like I go in with really, really high expectations. I went into reading Liam knowing literally nothing about it. And I was like, well, this looks interesting. And I ended up loving it. And Christopher Moore is just hilarious. He's really funny on Twitter. Um, I read another book of his, um, Fool, which is a retelling of one of the fools from, I can't remember which Shakespeare play. I think it's the Merchant of Venus. I don't know if it's Merchant of Venice or King Lear or what. I can't remember. It might be Merchant of Venice. It, that's Lamb by Christopher Moore. No, you are right. It is King Lear. Yay. And King Lear is one of my favorite Shakespeare plays. So I asked two people. I asked um, my boyfriend, because he is my elder, technically. <laughs> And I asked my mom and it was really fun kind of just hearing like, Hey, what is your book recommendation? Cause every day, literally every day of my life, I'm giving book recommendations. So it was kind of fun turning the script and hearing what people say and what they'd recommend. Um, both of them like to read and they like to read different types of things. And I enjoyed probably both of genres that they're both of them are really interested in. My mom um, likes historical fiction and she likes some mystery series, but she wants like the humor, kind of like think like Stephanie Plum, like One for the Money, you know, that series. Um, and she likes paranormal, like romances and paranormal series. So one that she has been reading for a while and she recommended to me, not just on the phone today, but also before the series is called the Charlie Davidson series and the author is Dorinda Jones. Um, the first book in that is The First Grave on the Right. And it definitely sounds like something I would enjoy. It sounds cute and funny. It's about this woman who can see ghosts. And she's basically the Grim Reaper or a Grim Reaper helping the ghost pass on. She's also a part-time private investigator. And she kind of helps, you know, the dead who have had um, tragic or mysterious deaths helps them I guess maybe pass on by helping solve the, the ways that they died so it sounds really interesting um kind of reminds me of the mediator series by Meg Cabot which is one of my all-time favorite series in the world and so I'll probably 
push this up my TBR. I've had it on my TBR for years because my mom has talked about it and how much she loves it. The other one she recommended me was one that I bought her because I knew I read it and I knew she'd like it, but I'm going to pass this on in case somebody's looking for a recommendation by an elder. She really loved the Nightingale by Kristen Hanna. Um, so that's one that she also recommended. She gave me a lot more, but to stick with kind of like the three that we're doing, I'm just going to go on to Joe's. He um, recommended the very first book he suggested was Man's Search for Meaning by Victor E. Frankel. And I had never really heard of this book before. Have either of you heard of it? I've heard of it, but I don't remember anything else. Yeah, yeah I hadn't heard of it. It's a nonfiction book. It's um, the author. He is a psychiatrist and he is, was Jewish and he survived one of the Nazi concentration camps. And it talks about his time there and how he was basically kind of psychoanalyzing like the prison guards. That's how Joe described it to me. And it talks about kind of just how people like how suffering is everybody goes through suffering. And it just kind of depends on how you deal with those experiences. So he said it's one of his top 20 favorite books he's ever read. So I'm going to have to check it out. And then another one he recommended, which I'm glad he recommended a book I actually own so I can try to read more books of my own that I already have, was The Hot Zone by Richard Preston. And that is about, I think it's the Ebola crisis and like the spread of it. Let me double check. Yes, it's the terrifying true story of the origins of the Ebola virus. And it's also a nonfiction story. Um, and that was a bestseller when it came out years ago. Um, so I love stuff about things that are gruesome and bloody and horrific. And so, you know, I know we're still kind of in plague times, but <laughs> I'm like, let me read about a different plague. So, yeah. Plague escapism. Plague escapism. Escape to a different plague. Yeah. I know a lot of people started reading books that were set during plagues during COVID. Like that was a trend people were doing. But yeah. So those were my book recommendations or my elders book recommendations. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Um, All right. So we did it. We recommended some books that were recommended to us, <laughs> some of which we have read, most of which we have not read yet. <laughs> so um, take that with a grain of uh, salt or whatever, have you will. Um, so I think that it is now time for the One Star Goodreads review. So I don't know how y'all, but I have been mercilessly bombarded with advertisements for the time traveler's wife Mm. hbo max series have you read it i have not read the book i'm gonna be reading it this year i'm also just (laughs) i don't know okay i'll just say i am profoundly uninterested yeah in in this story and i love time travel Uh uh-huh i love romance Uh uh-huh i love both of those things together in theory but having like (laughs) read the back of the book and seen the trailer for this series like a thousand times series or whatever it's just I have I just I want nothing I want to wash my hands of it it has a Hemsworth in it and what a Hemsworth 
I don't oh. know, I don't know which one. One of the Hemsworths, not the Thor one, the other one. Oh, and are you sure? I think so. No, I thought it was Theo James. James. That's not a Hemsworth. No, <laughs> they 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 all look kind of the same. Wait, was he in Divergent? Divergent. No, oh the, my the Hemsworth was in Hunger Games, right? <laughs> he looked like a Hemsworth. Yeah. No. Yes. Wait. Yes. Yes. Oh okay. my God. Liam Hemsworth was in Hunger Games. That's right. Yeah. Leo James was oh, in Divergent. Those yeah. movies are the same movie. It's the same book that I it, mean. No. Divergent. <laughs> I've read them both, and Divergent was like a shameless, like, okay, we're gonna okay, like yeah, do I Hunger Games yes. again. Yeah, Hunger Games is better. But I'm gonna be reading The Time Traveler's Wife probably like in December with my book club at work. So. Okay, I'm well, kind of feeling meh about it already, but go ahead. Okay, so it's for those of you who don't know, The Time Traveler's Wife by Audrey Niffenegger. That's the name you don't want to accidentally mispronounce, which I probably did just now. Um, is a love story about a man who can't stop slipping in and out of time. So he meets his wife for the first time when she is six years old and he is 30 something year old man. And which was already really weird and gross to me. But anyway, they keep meeting out of order and they fall in love, as you would, I guess. Um, So (laughs) tell tell us what you think, dear listeners, if you love this book. A lot of people do. It's got, I think, four stars on maybe like 3.78 stars on Goodreads. But a lot of people like it, even though it's kind of like rated eh, Um, clearly, because they're making a series out of it. But anyway, back in 2008... Dorothea rated it one star and Dorothea said, meh, I wish I could go back in time and read something else. (laughs) But I'm bummed. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta appreciate the time travel humor, Dorothea. (laughs) 